This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Hope you're having a great Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you've tuned in to the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, and for now, interrupting sort of the monotony of everybody being confined to quarters. Um, maybe we can bring a little bit of change uh, into your life. It's a brand new month, and... Um, Hopefully there'll be some brand new questions. All you have to do is call us, whatever the question, 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Um, numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app if you are driving in your car. The safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. 340-9585. Remember tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. And uh, she will be able to take any questions that you have or offer any encouragement. Ladies, it is especially for you. Uh, I want to send out a private message to Hindle. Hindle, we are praying for you and for Mike. Um, Always asking the Lord to be merciful and intervene. Um, your friend, thank you for tuning in to the program. Let's go to some questions that are sent in while we wait your phone calls. My first one is a question from Randy. He says, I recently went to start listening to your 2015 study of Revelation. I went because my business partner... Um, is also a pastor, and he's been doing these studies in Revelation. Uh, he started these little 20-minute segments daily. Boy, 20-minute segments in the book of Revelation is hard, Randy. Back to Randy. He says, first off, I know where we differ for the most part. He struggles, and I say struggles because he used that word when talking about it with me. He struggles with once saved, always saved. I've shared with him the John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, the double grasp guarantees. I call those the double pluck promises, Randy, because uh, that's the word the King James Version uses. And then Randy continues, he didn't accept that. He believes that when we lose our first love, that we head in the opposite direction of our heavenly destination, and that if we don't change our direction, we will not end up in that destination. To me, that says he doesn't believe that when we we're forgiven that the power of Jesus from the cross to the grave covers all sins from past, present, and future. That also says to me that he somehow is saying that our power to remove ourselves from Jesus' grasp is stronger than Jesus himself. Um, that's a little about that. Um, Randy, I want to talk about this because this is important. We get questions. We get questions like this all the time. Um, you know, when when um, you talk about he believes we lose our first love, that we head in the opposite direction, um, and that if we don't change our direction, we'll not end up in that destination. Um, his his basic problem with this, and it, it always concerns me when a pastor is thinking along these lines, um, his basic um, uh, problem is that he, he thinks that we have something to do with our salvation. And we don't. We had no... Um, 
inkling to come to the Lord. We, we, it certainly wasn't our initiative to draw us to him. Jesus did that by sending his Holy Spirit. Uh, so just as we couldn't save ourselves, we can't disqualify ourselves. And, and, and to take a position like your, your partner is taking um, would indicate that he says, okay, Jesus did all the work on the cross, but now you've got to do all the work here. And that's to miss the point of the New Testament. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It doesn't say I can do all things if I set my mind to it. You see, my salvation, Randy, your salvation, his salvation, none of it depends on him or on us. It all depends on Jesus. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Didn't say we'll be faithful to me. He began it, but we have to complete it. It says just the opposite. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Hebrews chapter 2, it's repeated in Hebrews chapter 12. He is the author and perfecter. Another translation says the finisher of our faith. It didn't say he began it, but we have to finish it. And see, that's the thing we need to understand. We Americans, you know, we're so focused on what we have to do. Even a lot of our prayers, okay, God, what do you want me to do next? Or what do I need to do to get this prayer answered? Uh, all we have to do is to be with him. But he's the one who called us. He's the one who empowers us. And he's the one who sustains us. Now, apart from those three verses in the New Testament, Randy, uh, I would challenge him as a pastor, if I was talking to him, I would challenge him as a pastor to um, give me an exposition on Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, where Paul says that upon salvation we receive the Holy Spirit which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. Now, if I guarantee something, my guarantee is only as good as my ability to perform it, but this is God who's making that guarantee to us. There's no way that, that somebody can just take those verses, and these are really clear New Testament passages. And there are no clear New Testament passages about losing your salvation. That is to misunderstand uh, any of the passages that people typically use, and it's easy to sit down and exegete those passages with somebody. But I would ask him, so tell me, Ephesians 1, 13, 14, what does it mean? Just stand alone. What does it mean? It's a clear statement. Does it mean that God guarantees our inheritance in heaven? Or does he not guarantee it? And if God is guaranteeing something, am I suddenly stronger than God that I can destroy his guarantee? It's really, really important that we understand that. Now, Randy, here's the problem that people have, and this is, this is just universal. We see people all the time who make professions of faith who end up walking away from the Lord. Now, the question is about the profession of faith. Was it real? Was it genuine? Now, we don't know. We're not God. God knows who are his. God will not be mocked, Galatians 6 says. But you see, we humans, we, we think, well, I need to know. This guy or this girl was, was following the Lord, and now they're living a life completely away from the Lord. Did they lose their salvation? My question would be, did they ever have it? Again, well, we can't be judges of somebody's walk with Jesus. We can look at their life and judge their behavior for sure. But Judas looked like a real believer, did he not? Weren't all of Jesus' other disciples amazed that Judas was the betrayer? Judas did miracles. Judas walked with Jesus for more than three years. And we'd all look at Judas. He was saved. Jesus said he was the son of perdition from the beginning. So you see, we believe what we hear instead of what we see. And by that I mean somebody says I'm a Christian, we say, oh yeah, they're a Christian. And then when they start living like an unbeliever, we think, well, they're a Christian, maybe they lost their salvation. We make choices all the time. But see, God knows the sincerity of our professions of faith. 
God knows if we meant it. Jesus said on the last day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's the day of judgment. So Randy is a pastor. This guy's a pastor. He needs to be able to exegete the scriptures. And honestly, I've seen a lot of people fall away from the Lord. Some of them I believed and still believe are saved. We'll find out if they return in the end. Or if they return at some point. But if they die in that condition, all we can say is that their profession of faith wasn't genuine. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 says they went out from us to prove, to demonstrate that they were never really part of us. And that's one of the things that we really have to hold on to. So, um, Randy, I think we, we help him, help him challenge him with those verses. Because any, any Christian who believes that our salvation is in our hands, that we've got to be the ones faithful to complete it, well, they're miserable because we can't complete anything apart from Christ. So, Randy, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Let's go to San Antonio on line one. Victor calling. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Victor. Hi, Victor. How are you doing? Good. I called because I just wanted to say, since I haven't been able to see you, I love you. We miss you. And this is just <laughs> my way of being able to get a hug from you. <laughs> Thank you, Victor. Isn't this terrible? Yeah, it is, especially because today is Elijah's 16th birthday, and we don't get to do a lot for him, but we're trying. <laughs> oh, please give him my love, will you? I miss your family so much. Well, we miss you guys, and uh, we just wanted to say we love you, and just, you know, hopefully a little bit of good news from somebody. And, we, uh, we're doing great, and we're going to do great, and you know our family, and we've been through worse, and we're going to get through this, too. Yeah, thank you, Victor. I know you will. I know you will. God bless you, and please give my love to Gail and to uh, to Evan and to Nora. I miss him so much. I'll see him. I will. I hope re- I will see him really soon, I hope. Thank you. Yeah. God bless. You know, I want uh, uh, everybody who, who heard Victor, obviously comes to our church, and when he says he's been through a lot worse than what we're all going through now, believe me, he and his family have been through a lot worse. And to see him standing uh, and doing well, uh, even in a time like this, is a testament to the faith of God, to the power of God, and to their commitment as a family to follow the Lord. I won't go into details about about what they've suffered, but um, this is a voice that you can listen to, not mine, his. Appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585, here is my next question. It is from, I'm not going so fast here. Our mobile app, this one comes from John. Does God have a specific destroying angel and who is he? I ask because there's a reference to destroying angels in Psalm 19. Um, John, there's also references to destroying angels throughout uh, the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 18 and 19, the angels that were with Jesus uh, to, uh, to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, it's not a specific destroying angel, but there are clearly angels uh, that their primary responsibility is to destroy. Uh, they bring with them the judgment of God. Of course, they're functioning based on orders from God himself. But uh, when they go to destroy, that is exactly what they are supposed to do. And uh, when you see reference to destroying angels, not just in Psalm 79, but but uh, in Genesis and some of the other places where they um, appear in the Old Testament, uh, those destroying angels are for sure sent by God on a mission and uh, they always accomplish their mission. So, John, it's it's not Jesus. There is a place where Jesus will be the destroying angel. That's not until um, Revelation chapter 19. And, of course, there he's not coming just as an angel, but he's coming with King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on his thigh and on his robe. So he has a specific angels, plural, uh, whose mission it is to destroy in judgment, 
Uh, and that's the reference to destroying angels. Good question. I haven't had that one before. Here's a question from our email inbox, this time from Kirby. Uh, regarding eating fruit in the Garden of Eden, do you think that because man sinned and then something had to die in a sacrifice and also man now needed clothes, uh, etc., would that be the reason why man now eats meat so that there would be no waste? Everything would be used up like the prescribed methods of sacrifices that God placed on the Jews in Leviticus. Um, Kirby, no, that's, uh, that's kind of going in the wrong direction with this question. Now, we know that it wasn't until after the flood that man began to eat meat, uh, up to the point, uh, the, the pre-Diluvian um, um, condition of mankind. They ate only plants and only fruits and things that were grown. It won't be until after God's judgment on the earth, and this is part of the judgment, that man began to, to be able to eat meat. It's when the animals would turn on one another and they would begin to hunt and eat each other just to survive. Uh, that was when, of course, the world began to shorten in terms of lifespan uh, for a very, very long time. So um, um, as a result of, of uh, eating the forbidden fruit, uh, Adam and Eve, the, the, the land was cursed, and um, eventually we know uh, that would lead to the flood which destroyed the rest of the world. Good, good question. Let's go to a question from Dennis. He says, Pastor what are your thoughts on the pastor who got arrested for holding church in Florida? Um, Dennis, that pastor's name was Rodney Howard Brown, and he is um, um, a horrible heretical false teacher. Uh, at one time, very famous, um, he was uh, there for the, um, the the Brownsville revival, you know, the the, the Toronto revival. Um, he was the he was famous, and I mean, it's embarrassing to say this, but he was famous for the laughing revival when when people were laughing in the spirit and falling down and laughing and and just that utter nonsense that went on. I don't know how long ago now, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and now he's just a sad guy who's trying to get famous again. He's a sad guy who's trying to get famous again. So um, th- there's nothing meritorious about his ministry. There's nothing that I can commend about his ministry. He is a false teacher. Now, having said that, let me also add this, Dennis. I think that the charges against him will never stand I think this brings up some really interesting constitutional questions. We have the right to assembly together as a church. And the government does not have the right. Now, this is constitutional. The government does not have a right to come in and tell us that we cannot assemble together uh, as Christians, as believers, not just as Christians, but any group. Uh, we're, we're, we have the freedom to pursue religious observances, and we can do that. And I honestly think that if, uh, and, and this guy doesn't have the money to make it go this far, but boy, if people who do want to make this a test case, I can promise you this is a, a decision, a conviction that would be overturned by the Supreme Court. I think it's an interesting uh, possibility that, um, um, you know, once these government interruptions to our freedom are gone, you know, we may never get the same kind of freedom that we had before. The government now has their hand in it. They can do whatever they want to do. Uh, and I think these are some battles that we're headed for. Uh, regarding Rodney Howard Brown, however, I want you to know there is nothing of value that comes out of that man's mouth. Nothing at all. Let's go to David calling from San Antonio on line one. David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well, David. How about you? I'm doing okay. Uh, first of all, what you know that I'm praying for you and Paula, that the Lord would just bless you all, keep you strong, keep you healthy, and the same for your congregational family. Thank you, David. I appreciate it more than you know. Um, so I have a question for you. Just I don't know why this popped in my head today. And uh, I turned you on, and I thought, you know, I'm going to ask Pastor Ron. So here it goes. Uh, other than the Bible... Are there any other books that um, document Jesus in history, um, real history? And I, and I don't mean that the Bible is not real. I'm not trying to be 
funny here, but I, I mean, any I any historians' books and, and things like that, I'm going to hang up and listen to you. Thanks. Bye. Okay, David, thank you very, very much. And before I answer David's question, David, you, you have no idea how much your prayers for us mean. And again, I would like to remind everybody, please pray for our medical ministry, Malta Medical. Um, um, our, our numbers are picking up the, the demand over there. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't want to go to emergency rooms because they're afraid of getting this virus. They don't want to go to hospitals and they're coming to us. And, and I would just ask that everybody pray for Dr. Peter, Dr. Sheba, for our nursing staff, for administrative staff, our receptionists, uh, all the people that are down there. Um, we're praying, Paul and I are praying that God would put them in a little plastic bubble so that they don't get um, um, uh, exposed to this virus. You know, if we get one person in the, uh, in the, in the clinic that, that uh, tests positive for the virus, uh, we've shut down the work for a while. And um, I, I want you to know, people are getting saved there almost daily. People are afraid and they're getting saved. So please pray that God would keep his protection around our doctors, our nurses, and the staff at Malta Medical. It's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And every day I get to say, Lord, today somebody's going to get saved down at Malta Medical. Bless them. And and uh, we, we simply don't want that work to stop. That's the reason God has us here for such a time as this. And Paula, that one was for you. <laughs> Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Let me go to. Thank you, <laughs> my producer. You didn't answer David's question about the biblical, the, the the secular history, and secular is the word that you're talking about. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of writing from the first century that refers to uh, the works of Jesus Christ. Some of them are early church fathers. Uh, Josephus, who was not a Christian, he was a Jew uh, who was really writing uh, history for Rome. Uh, he talks about Jesus and the. Um, um, the miracles that were attributed to him and the, 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 the crucifixion, the resurrection of the dead. So um, Flavius Josephus is uh, first and foremost, and he goes uh, way back into um, um, the, the, the early, early days of the church. So um, uh, David, he would be the one that was most. We've got people in Phallos um, um, uh, in 55 B.C., uh, Josephus a little later in the 90s of the first century, uh, and Tacitus uh, right after the turn of the first century. And, and these are people who are not believers, uh, and uh, they they make mention of Jesus' ministry. You know, David, nobody, uh, not even liberal, off-the-wall religious scholars, and I, I say that almost with a sneer, uh, because they're, they're, that's what they are. They're religious scholars. They don't know the Lord. Um, um, almost nobody doubts the reality, the historicity of Jesus. Uh, every year, Easter's coming up. We'll see it again in, in just a, a little more than a week. Um, you can turn on to the History Channel or the PBS, or you can turn to, to, to some of the other documentary and, and there'll be lots of, of uh, uh, presentations on the historical Jesus. And um, nobody doubts that he really lived and died and that he was a, um, a man who had great influence and did marvelous things. What they doubt is that he was God. And that's, that's a, a pretty important doubt because that's the one that disqualifies you from heaven. You know, it's really interesting to me, David, and uh, you can read... Um, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce on this. You can read um, commentaries on First John or on um, uh, some of the other New Testament epistles. Um, the, the, the primary heresy of the first century church was called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believed that, that God is spirit, and so God uh, could never have encountered flesh and blood. Um, so that Jesus then, they concluded, because they lived in a time where nobody could deny the, the reality of Jesus. They said, Jesus appeared as a man, but he wasn't really a man. And their whole motive for doing this was to permit them to do in their flesh whatever they wanted to do. God's a spirit. He doesn't care about the things that we do in the body. That allowed them the freedom they thought to sin and do whatever they wanted to do. 
And, uh, and of course, that's not the case. So in the early church, they believed that Jesus was God for sure, but they doubted he was a man. Now we're some 2,000 years later, and there's no doubt at all that he is a man. He really lived, uh, but now what they deny is his deity. So it's just sort of flipped uh, upside down in the 2,000 years uh, since Jesus uh, was crucified. Thank you, David. I hope that answers your question. We have 30 minutes left in today's program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. It's the Word of Santa for Life. Coming up to the break, we'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Let's go to Converse, Texas and talk with Joe on line one. Joe, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Papa Ron. How are you? I'm doing well, Joe. How about you? I'm doing really good. Thank you. So we miss seeing I have a you. praise report. <laughs> I okay. know I miss you guys too. Oh, but I have a really great praise report. Um, I've been working with a friend for seven years now. Um, and I've never actually met him because he lives in New Jersey. But this whole um, COVID-19 thing has really shaken him. And mm. he asked me <clears throat> the other day why I wasn't so shaken. and And I said, well... You know, because I know Jesus, would you like to know him? And and, and he said, yes. So I, I shared the gospel with him. But unfortunately, he had to let me go. We were actually talking on our company's instant messenger for all of this. And um, so he let me go. But I told him, well, listen, let me send you these Bible studies. You know, one of them was the Nicodemus. Um, when Jesus told him he had to be born again. And the other mm-hmm. one... Um, since he's from India, um, I sent him one of Dr. Peter's studies. And then oh, I just good. let him know, you know, listen, we got to pray and we got to actually receive Christ, you know. So he called me back today ready for that. And I just, my heart is just so happy. <laughs> but <laughs> Joe, I'm so proud. I'm so proud you go to our church. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just so grateful the Lord put us there. But, um, so my question, though, is, okay, so he's married, and he has a five-year-old girl, and, um, and and I'd like to send his family some Bibles, and he said he, he wouldn't mind um, uh, them being in English or whatever, but I'm just wondering, what, what's the best Bible for, you know, someone who can barely, I mean, he can speak English pretty well, but he does have to Google a lot of things that we say, so what, what, what kind of Bible do you think we should get for them? Well, I think probably the New Living Translation would be the best one for him. Uh, but Joe, if if you will give me a, a way I can contact him or have somebody contact him, uh, we have um, um, uh, one of my dear friends, and you've met him because he's spoken in our church. His wife actually came down for a, one of our, our, our ladies' luncheons, um, um, R- Ravi, who is in from Richardson, Texas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, he 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 has a church that still has um, um, one service in um, I think it's in Hindi, and then another service, uh, two other services that he does in English in Richardson, Texas. And God has really blessed their ministry, and He would have unlimited resources for this friend. That's perfect. So and, ask him, um, ask him if I can, if I can pass the contact on to him, and uh, sure. um, he would really be blessed. Okay, okay. And okay. then my other question is: He lives in a place called Middleton, New Jersey. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if you know. And this was more of a personal question. You can email me later or whatever. But I'm just wondering if there's 
when all of this isolation stuff lifts, um, if there, if you know of a, a good Bible teaching church near near there, um, I know I googled it the other day. There was like three Calvary chapels, but I don't know if you know any of them personally. I, I actually I know them all, and um, uh, Lloyd, of course, I was just talking with him today from Old Bridge. Um, uh, another guy, um, uh, Chris McCarrick, um, he's in Tom's River. And again, I don't know the geography in New Jersey well enough to know if that's close to the place where, where, where your friend is. Uh, but there's Calvary's out there, and we can make that connection, too, and hook him up, so no problem. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, thank you, Papa Ron. Thank you, Joe. God bless you. Now, you see, this is what I was talking about uh, earlier this week. Uh, people are afraid. Their hearts are open. And Joe said that she's been talking to this guy for seven years in a business, very professional, but in a business context. Um, and and now he's all freaked out about this this coronavirus. And uh, it just gave her an opportunity to say, well, it's Jesus. That's why I'm not afraid. You want to have that kind of peace. And, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, Joe didn't preach to him, but the Spirit had prepared his heart. And he said yes. And that's what we all ought to take advantage of because I'm telling you, the people in the streets, the people in your neighborhoods, they're scared. And we have the answers. And when I said, Joe, I'm so proud you go to our church. I've been telling my church to do this for the longest time. And some people actually listen and take me serious. God bless you, Joe. Thank you so much. Let's go to line two, talk with Jimmy from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Semper five. Uh, I was going to tell you, um, <laughs> hey, I was going to tell you, um, you, you're not, are you still going to have communion? You're not, right? Or yes or no? We are going to have communion. It's going to be a kind of a drive up communion. I'm going to announce it tonight and then I'll hit it a little harder with some details on Friday at the service, Jimmy. But we're going to have communion. Um, we, and we didn't ask anybody to do this, but we've had some people driving to the church, staying in their car and watching online in the parking lot outside. It just is sort of like I'm, I'm at church and I'm close to the people. And uh, we are going to have communion, um, where, where people can, um, um, They'll just tell us how many are in the car, and we'll have some ushers outside. Actually, a couple of the kids are going to be doing it, and they're going to be taking communion and giving it to people in the car. It'll be a no-contact, um, healthy way of, of doing it. And uh, what we'd, we'd uh, welcome anybody who wants to come, uh, to come, and we will be passing out communion at the end of our service on Sunday. But what time? What time? Every service or just that? One service. Well, we the the first the first service in the morning, uh, Jimmy, eight thirty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we only we only do yeah. one service, and then the that's others right, are replayed right. online. That's right because they're recorded. Because I watched your service. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, eight thirty service. Okay, sir. Good. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Um, I'm not afraid, but I'm cautious. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> That's good. That's that's just being wise. All right. Take care. God bless you. Love you too, Jimmy. Stay, stay safe. All right. Bye-bye. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Lee on line three. Lee, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Yes, I have a question. I'm moving to uh, Northridge, California, and oh, I would wow. like to know if there's a, a church by there, a Calvary Church. In that area, there is. Well, what's taking you to Northridge, Lee? Uh, family. Okay, that's where I went to college, Lee. So I'm familiar with the area. Oh, um, great. The, yeah, the whole San Fernando Valley area. Before I tell you about churches, um, the, the best sandwich shop in the whole world is in Northridge, California. It's a place on Reseda Boulevard. I think it's Reseda and Halstead, and it's called My Hero. And um, if, if, if the sandwiches are so good, and when you walk in there and tell them, um, don't say Pastor Ron because they didn't know me as Pastor Ron, but but Ron from um, San Fernando Valley State Baseball um, referred you, okay. and uh, and and they'll they'll get a smile. They used to have my picture up in there, but I don't think they do anymore. But. Um, I went to college there, and it was it's a great great sandwich shop. Lee, there there is a church in Northridge, a Calvary Chapel. 
go to uh, um, just Google Calvary Chapel in, in oh. San Fernando Valley, and it'll give you a whole list of the Calvary Chapels. Oh. And I think at, at last count, there were probably six or seven of them uh, in the area. So um, no problem finding a Calvary Chapel in, in, uh, in the San Fernando Valley. Okay, well, thank you so much. My pleasure. God bless you, and good luck with your move. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you. world is small, isn't it? Northridge, California. If anybody travels out there, My Hero Sandwich, wow, just the best. Let's go to San Antonio Line 4 and talk with Robert. Robert, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor, how are you doing? This is Robert. Uh, just first of all, I'm going to give you a quick update. My daughter, granddaughter, Jada, is doing very, very well. And they've been Wonderful. working with me and praying with us, so I just want to give you a quick feedback on that. But I got a couple you, questions Robert. for you today concerning, um, um, you know, fasting and healing and praying for and the anointing of the oil. Um, so my first question is, if you can kind of, and, and I'll hang up uh, once you get off. It's, um, okay. Um, so you can kind of, and I, I want to listen and take some notes. But um, the first one is I've read throughout the Bible at different times where, you know, they mentioned fasting and, and doing fasting, but I've never really seen where the right way to do it, I guess, if that makes sense. On Maybe you can explain that a little bit better. Um, okay. Because, again, it's throughout the Bible, not one specific area, but they talk about fasting all the time. And then the, my second question is concerning in James um, chapter 5, you know, verses 13 through... Um, 15, where basically it talks about having faith. I'm sure you're familiar with the passage. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, if you're having, you know, questions with faith and then about healing, you know, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Do you believe in the oil? Um, some of my friends that I've been talking to and know the Bible have kind of said, well, that was just written, written for um, the people at that time. It wasn't really for us. Just want to see what your take on that for the healing and the sick as I'm um, going through a difficult situation with that right now. So, okay, I can do that, Robert. And thank you for the update on on your granddaughter. God bless her, and and we're we're grateful to be um, to to know that our prayers are being heard. Uh, let me do the the oil first uh, from from James. Um, remember the church and James was. Um, the, the most Jewish of all of of Jesus's followers. When you, when you talk about uh, those reputed to be pillars, Paul says James in the Jerusalem church was the man, not Peter. James was the man, and um, um, James would have been very Jewish, and ten, tendency would be to be very legalistic, and and the anointing of oil was a very Jewish. Celebration, sort of a a Jewish ritual, uh, where where people would be anointed uh, to do things. Now, the anointing oil. There's nothing magical about the oil. The the the, um, the oil represents the healing power of the Holy Spirit. So, what James is saying: if anyone's sick, here's the step of faith. Let him ask the elders, and the laying on of hands and the anointing of oil will make the sick person well. Now, that's not a promise, a guarantee, that every time we do that, that somebody's going to get well. Um, Robert, we we do that here quite often. Uh, just uh, a month ago, we had a, a lady who was new to our church. Um, cutest thing in the world. I mean, she was um, you know younger than I am, but but she uh, she just said, I just need to be prayed for, and, and would you lay hands on and anoint me with oil? And she was really struggling with something physically. And so um, I grabbed the elders and my pastors that we had available, and as soon as service was over, we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her. And um, just before we broke, because of this coronavirus stuff, um, she came to church and she said, Pastor Ron, I have to tell you, my life has changed completely since you guys prayed for me and laid hands on me, anointed me with oil. So she had faith enough to ask for healing. And it was, in this case, God's will that she would be healed. And she got healed. And, and you know, a couple of weeks, three weeks or so after that, we got to rejoice with her because of the the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So the oil, we always use the oil because that's what the New Testament says to do. But we understand it maybe maybe a little bit differently than James would have. James would have done it because it was his Jewish roots. But the oil represents the healing power 
of the Holy Spirit. Very important. It's not a promise, not a guarantee of healing, but when they take the step of faith, I always think, especially with this woman who came uh, the last time, um, uh, it, it's like the woman with the issue of blood. If I if I can only touch the hem of his robe, I know I'll be healed. And, of course, that's what happened. So she came and she asked. One of the things that always amazes me, Robert, is how few people really ask for healing. And it's either because they don't really believe that God will do it for them, Or they don't want to be disappointed. I've had people pray for my eyes for all the years I've been blind. And again, not totally blind, but I've explained before. Um, and, and you know, when somebody asks if they can pray for me, my answer is always yes. And I've been prayed for hundreds of times for my eyesight to be restored. And yet it hasn't been God's will. He's told me his grace is sufficient. So um, I, I, I take him in his word. And yet I'm always willing to be prayed for. I'm always willing to ask. And I think sometimes when people don't get healed, they get so discouraged that they don't want to ask again. It's a really bad place to be. The question about fasting, Robert, is important as well. Um, fasting, as we see it in the New Testament, um, is almost always in a Jewish construct. Um, fasting was a part of the Jewish ritual. Uh, they would fast for, for during times of hardship. They would fast during certain religious festivals. Um, but Isaiah 58 is the definitive chapter on fasting in our Bibles. And actually, I did that chapter not too long ago. Uh, you can go to our website, calvaryessay.com, and listen to that study, Robert, and I think it will give you help, some help. The problem we have with fasting as New Testament believers is we've got this, this feeling like, well, if I deny myself something, then God will answer my prayer. And that has nothing to do with it. The fasting is just sort of a declaration that uh, I'm willing to deny my flesh. My flesh wants to eat or my flesh wants to... There's a, there's a sexual fast in, in the scriptures. I've got a question about that coming up uh, if I get to it today. Um, but it's just to, to, to withhold something for a time so that you can seek the Lord in prayer. But it doesn't come with any guarantees and it doesn't come... Uh, in the sense that, well, okay, I'll do this, so God has to do this. And I think that's what we've done to fasting. So that's why I think Isaiah 58 is really, really essential to understand in terms of fasting. Um, Robert, I'm not a big faster. I, I, I want to surrender my life to the Lord every day. Um, I try not to do things that I know are bad for me. And yet at the same time, um, I have occasionally done that when I really wanted clarity on something from the Lord. And honestly, I haven't found any more clarity fasting than, than, than I had when I wasn't fasting. So I think it's just a matter of heart. Does my heart really belong to Him? Am I really willing to deny my flesh, say no to me so I can say yes to Him? I think any Christian in that condition, with the heart in the right place, um, God is going to minister to them and speak to their hearts. So, Robert, thank you for the questions. Again, thank you for the update on your family. Appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question that I really didn't understand at first, but I got it. I had to do some looking. It's from Jacob. He says, I encountered an in-cell group online. What are they and what do they represent? Um, Jacob, um, you, you probably get more information Googling it, but be careful you don't want to get involved in any other groups. Um, it stands for involuntarily celibate. And these are men who believe that women are withholding sex from them and they're doing it um, unfairly and they grow bitter and, and they, I mean, they're, they're women haters and they just believe that um, the woman's responsibility in life is to provide them with sexual grat gratification if they want it, if they need it. So what they really represent is unbelieving fools. Uh, these are men who um, don't know God. They have nothing of God in them. And it's just one of those fringe groups that uh, the Internet sort of gives life to. And, you know, men who really have no courage on their own 
Um, so they gather with other like-minded men, uh, and they they just sort of rant and complain and um, blame the rest of the world for the condition of their lives. But uh, it's not something that you really want to um, to spend any time um, researching. So be careful, Jacob. I think we got time if anybody else wants to call three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's the question that I was talking about from Rachel. First uh, Corinthians seven five. What is meant by mutual consent? This is the passage of scripture where Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. Now remember, he's answering questions that have been sent to him. So these are things that the church there is dealing with, and this is a carnal church. I've talked about that a lot on this radio program. And um, and so what he says is, look, don't deprive each other, husbands and wives he's talking to, don't deprive each other of sex except for mu- except by mutual consent and for a time. In other words, he puts limits on it. And then come back together again sexually, he's saying, so that you're not tempted to, to stray. So what's meant by mutual consent, it's when a husband and a wife, Rachel, would come together and say, you know, we, we've got some really important issues to fight, to seek the Lord on. So let's fast. And remember, this is just a denying of the flesh. The sexual relationship between a husband and wife is pleasing. It, it satisfies our flesh. And what he's saying is, is there are situations where it's okay, we're going to withhold sex for a time. And I think Paul's emphasis there is on a short time um, because we want to seek the Lord. We want to get the Lord's mind and heart on a particular issue. But again, then he tells them, as soon as, as, soon as that happens, then come together again. Now, this is important also, Rachel, when you look at the context of the passage. This is where he's talking about um, who our bodies belong to. And here's what he's saying, and this will be very unpopular in our 21st century culture. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that your body's not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to him. And when you are married, your body doesn't belong to you, but your body belongs to your spouse. So, husbands, your body is your wife's. Wives, your body belongs to your husband. And what that means in the context of the sexuality of the passage is that you have no right to withhold sex you know, we have a, a culture, you know, if I don't feel like it, then I'm being violated. And and no, if, if you're married, your body is meant to be an instrument that will please your spouse. It's that simple. So the husband doesn't have the right to say, no, I don't feel like it. The wife doesn't have a chance to say, or the right to say, no, I don't feel like it. Um, we're to understand that our bodies are meant not for our own pleasure, but for the pleasure of others. Now, obviously, because this is the way God works, Rachel, um, we get a lot of pleasure in the sexual relationship. And that's just the way God is. You know, when you're obedient, He blesses. But the idea here is, don't withhold sex in the marriage. And if you don't withhold sex in the marriage, um, then there's going to be great communication. And I think, because we know God intends the sexual relationship to be very passionate, um, it never should be used as a tool to control or manipulate behavior. And it works both ways, men and women, but he says if you separate sexually, make it a short time and only when the husband and wife agree to do so, so that you can really seek the Lord and find an answer to the things that you're dealing with. Thank you for the question, Rachel. We've had a question on that passage or even that chapter for a long time. Um, I've got three minutes, so I can't do that question. Let me do this one. Uh, Here's an anonymous question. Um, How far can I go with my boyfriend sexually and not be sinning? Anonymous, you're sort of betraying your heart here. You're already going too far with him. Sexual relationship doesn't just mean intercourse. When you are doing sexual things with your boyfriend or if it's a, a boy doing it with his girlfriend, you're sinning. So there's no line you can get up to. You know, we, we, we sort of play Russian roulette sexually. You know, we'll say, well, well, we didn't go all the way, but you're still sinning. And here's what you need to understand. Your boyfriend needs to treat you like Jesus' daughter. We don't want to mess with Jesus' daughter. 
same thing works the other way around. You know, the, the, the boyfriend has to honor physically his commitment to his girlfriend. And that's why we need to be really, really careful. You know, temptation uh, is a difficult thing to manage. And we know when we are being tempted. We know when we're no longer on holy ground. So what we have to do then is understand that God forbids sexual activity between men and women who aren't married. In fact, he prohibits sexual activity between any two people who aren't married. And so you can't have sexual activity. It's that simple. Now, I don't think that forbids holding hands. I certainly don't think that forbids um, casual kissing. But I think we need to be really careful. You know what's going on in your mind, and you know what's going on in your boyfriend's mind. And Anonymous, if your boyfriend is putting pressure on you to go farther than you're comfortable with, then you've got the, right, the wrong guy in your life. You've got the wrong guy in your life. We need to be able to control our bodies. That's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, self-control. So don't let anybody push you. Don't let anybody push themselves on you. Don't cave in to the world that we live in that says, oh, everybody's doing it. It doesn't matter anymore. It matters a great deal to God. And Jesus is the one that we want to please. Thank you for the question. Hey, thanks for the calls today. Uh, tonight, I'll be teaching Genesis chapter 4, a really important chapter in our Bibles, uh, Cain and Abel. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow with Paul on the date day edition of the program. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.